Well, we're reaching the end of our 4-5-1 little series. And remember that that's four kings, five questions, and one life. The four kings are the kings that intersected with the ministry of Isaiah the prophet. So that's Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And each one... Uh, as you study their life, they leave us with a question, although Hezekiah, there's a whole lot more in the story about Hezekiah than the others. So he, he, he leaves us today with two questions. And that one life that we're talking about, that's your life. It's the life of the one who's reading the stories, the, the accounts, that as I read it, I realize that God is examining my life and God's working in me. So for me, that one life is me. For you, that one life is you. So today, we arrive at Hezekiah, the fourth and last king who ministered during the time of Isaiah the prophet. There's more in the scriptures about Hezekiah. Uh, you'll notice, you probably noticed in Second Chronicles, for each of the others, there's just one chapter, and actually one of them was quite short. But in Hezekiah, it's four chapters, and we find a similarly uh, a long stretch in Second Kings where there's a parallel passage there in the story. And there's more in Isaiah about Hezekiah. So Hezekiah, uh, there's longer, and we're not going to say everything that could be said about Hezekiah today. But I do want us to see two strong and piercing questions from him. And so we're going to take them one at a time. Our readers are going to come and read us the first part of his life, and then I'm going to explain some, and then they're going to come up again and read the second part, and then we'll, we'll explain again. So let's listen as our readers read passages from Second Chronicles and second kings about King Hezekiah. And consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense 
or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. On the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days, they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near. Bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who brought a willing heart brought burnt offerings. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 29, and you'll find that on page 380 if you're using one of our Bibles. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 29 is where Hezekiah's story begins, and um, as you read the story, I, I think it's in chapter 29, and then in chapter 30, that's the first half of his, of his uh, life, the word consecrate or consecrated occurs 12, uh, 16 times in those two chapters. And so by just as, just if you just pick the book up and start to read it over and over, you hear this word consecrate, consecrate, consecrate. And by the sheer force of repetition, we realize that, that this idea of consecration is, is one of the main themes in the story of Hezekiah. It was one of the, it was one of his his great strengths and is what God accomplished through him. Look, um, uh, you see there in verse 5 where he begins, and we heard it read, he said to them, hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers. And so the question we get to real quickly You've heard the story read, so I won't, I won't dwell on that a lot. But the question that Hezekiah, the first question that Hezekiah presents us with is, have you consecrated yourself to the Lord? 
Have you consecrated yourself to the Lord? Well, we want to ask the question, what does that mean, consecrate? What does it mean? I, uh, I looked it up in one dictionary. It says to dedicate to a sacred purpose. To dedicate to a sacred purpose. And the question uh, presented to us is then, if, if I can say it another way, is have you dedicated yourself to God for a sacred purpose? And that's the question we need to each ask ourselves. And it doesn't mean that if, if you've dedicated yourself to the Lord for a sacred purpose, you then become a missionary or a pastor. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, are you going to follow the Lord Jesus? And you're, you're going to say, I'm yours and I'm dedicated to you. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. Then you get to the second point if you become a missionary, and that is whatever you feed me, I will swallow. That's the, that's the missionary's credo. Where you lead me, I will follow. Where you feed me, I will swallow. But um, that's only if he calls you to do that. You've, we we, we um, want to look, though, because in this first uh, part of the story of Hezekiah, I do see three steps that they took in terms of consecrating themselves to the Lord. So let's look at those three steps here quickly. Um, the first one is you throw out the dirty. That which is dirty, you throw it out. Look again at verse 5. Well, let's start at verse 4. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. We remember from the story of Ahaz last week that here his father, Hezekiah's father, actually uh, brought in all sorts of pagan and idolatrous worship and did put all that stuff in there. And then eventually he just shut the doors. And so here, in, and it's, you've, you've got to uh, thrill a little bit with the, the courage and the boldness and the single-mindedness of this young king. He gets put into office, he's sworn in, and he says, all right, first thing on first order of business, we are opening the temple again and says right in the first month he got them all together now get in there and clean out the filth well we need to do the same thing in our own lives that's a part of consecrating ourselves to the Lord is there anything in my life which doesn't belong in the holy place and we remember, too, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we are, in essence, a holy place. So the question is, what am I allowing in my life that's dirty? Well, let's get it out. Part of consecration is not merely saying, yes, Lord, you can use me in some grandiose way. It's responding to his desire to sanctify you. That's a Bible word meaning to set you apart, to clean you up. And to clean me up. So the first step is, what's, what needs to go in my life, Lord? What needs to go? And I get before the Lord and I allow him to put his finger on what needs to go. And I repent of it. I turn away from it. And I, I throw out the dirty. The second step, though, is that I then practice the clean. Look at verse 18. After they after they cleaned stuff up, then um, in verse 18 it says, Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, 
There were all kinds of uh, tools that were used in all of that. And the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we've made them ready and consecrated. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. This is really cool. So every, Ahaz, all the special tools and utensils that were God's plan to be used and all of the temple sacrifices and the, the burnt offerings, the showbread offerings, the candles, all that kind of stuff, uh, Ahaz had just kind of thrown them off into a corner. They're dirty, probably in the, in the dust uh, or worse. And he had his junk in, the, in, the, in replacement of it. But now, after you throw out the dirty, you get the, the right stuff and you get them all cleaned up and you put them there and it's all ready. I can just see it. The place was like spring cleaning had taken place. Or better still, in the military, they were ready for an inspection. It was spotless. And they went to Hezekiah and said, it's all ready now. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to do it with our own life. We need to take inventory and get the bad stuff out that we've allowed to creep in and then practice the clean. Practice the clean. Do the right stuff. And what is the right stuff? We all know they are the means of grace. One, two, three, exclamation mark. What's number one? Number one is one external thing, which is right. I'd feel better if it was a little louder and enthusiastic, but we got it right. So there's one external thing, two internal attitudes, and three activities that we can do, and the exclamation mark. So the one external thing is the Word of God. So we get in the Word of God. So how about in your life? Is your life a little bit like here was the right utensil made for the holy place, but it's kind of forgotten and you've gotten so busy that you don't, you don't have it all polished up and then ready to go and you're reading it? Not polished up like, you know, it's funny. Um, um, being a pastor, people do weird things to you. Like I, I still remember sometimes everybody gets their family Bible. Not everybody. You guys don't do this. But other people, you know, get, if I'm coming over, they make sure there's Bibles on every... <laughs> Bible on the end table, Bible in the kitchen table, Bible in the family room. It's like, I guess you guys knew I was coming. <laughs> but whether they're read or not, you know, when we say the means of grace, one, one external, that means read it. Amen? It's not going to help you just to have it there. But we need to read it, think on it, listen to people who preach it and teach it. You know, just memorize it, think, think, always reading. Two internal attitudes, what are they? Trust and obey. Or faith and submission, the same thing. Trust and obey. I'm actually trusting God and what he says. Because I can read the word, but if I don't trust him, then, then the grace isn't flowing. But as I trust or I have faith there, grace flows. Obedience, same thing. If I obey what I'm being told, I grow and the grace flows. If I don't obey, if I don't submit myself to him, the grace isn't flowing. So, gra- so submission and faith. Three activities. What are they that we do? Remember? Prayer is the first one. Fellowshipping together, service, absolutely. 
All the guys that didn't know it, they got stuck in the snow. But we, we know what these are, right? Okay, so we've got, we've got prayer, we have in, involvement in each other's lives, and we, and we serve. And don't forget that service is a means of grace. So that as I serve and use whatever gift I have, as you serve whatever gift you, God's given you, and you serve other people, the grace of God flows there. So that you, the one who is serving, you are as built up as the one you're serving is built up. And um, that's God's plan. And then there's the exclamation mark. And what is that? Don't forget the ordinances. Baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. And so those are the utensils for today's holy place. Amen? Those are the utensils. Practice the good. Get out. Get the dirty out. Put the good in. And then there's a third step in this consecration, and that is worship. Look at verse 31. We're still in chapter 29, and we go to 31. It says, Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And then uh, look at verse 35. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced, because God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. This is exciting. There's a great turnaround all of all, all a sudden. It seemed sudden to them. But there was a consecration of themselves to the Lord. They threw out the dirty, they practiced the clean, and they worshipped him. So we come back to the same question for you, and it's the same question for me. This week, you know, it was the last week of deer season. And I spent a lot of time in tree stands. Um, and I thought a lot about this as the snow was coming down on me. I was just thinking, I was just thinking about consecrating myself afresh to the Lord. And what does it mean? And I think that part, part of what it means is found in 2 Corinthians 5.15. Which for one reason or another, I'm, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but... After I became a Christian, when I first got saved, this is the first verse that I memorized. Nobody told me to do that, but it captured what was in my heart. And I'm going to read it or quote it from the version that I memorized it in, which is different than the ESV. But it says that he, meaning Jesus, he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We should, not, we should not live for ourselves, but we should live for the one who died and rose again for us. Amen? And I think that's, I've thought about it too. I think, I don't think my wife knows this yet, but that's what I want on my tombstone. I want 2 Corinthians 5.15 in English, in Swahili, and in Sandawi. That would be cool. That would be cool. But um, it's not, he died and rose again for us. So let's live for him. Let's live for him. 
And it's easy, friends. It's easy to just start to drift bit by bit. And we're really living for ourselves or we're, we're living for other things. Well, let's, on this last Sunday before Christmas Sunday, let's consecrate ourselves again to the Lord. And say, Lord, forgive me for, the, for drifting, if that's the case. I'm consecrating myself again to you. I'm going to live for you. And some of you, you sense, you know, to take it another step further, you, you, you sense where God is leading you. You sense what he wants you to do with your life. The, that, that, that which he's placed on your heart. And it's different for every, all of us. That what he wants you to do. But let me ask this question. Have you drifted from that? So that you're replacing what he really wants you to do with your life with what you want to do with your life. You're letting your, your, your fears or your selfishness get in the way. Well, this morning, let's consecrate ourselves to him. Lord, I'm going to follow you and I want to live for you. And Lord, um, X here, thing X that you, I know you've led me to do with my life. I've started to waffle on that. I'm getting back to it. That's what I'm going to do with my life. If he's given you that clarity, get back to the clarity. So let's do that. Let's pause and pray. Why don't we just pray in, in silence? And I'd like all of us just to do business with God. And after a moment, which will probably seem longer, I'm, I want to give you time. I want you to just pray. And consecrate yourself to the Lord. Lord, we claim afresh the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from sin and to take these sins which you've reminded of, us of, each of us. We, we, we claim the blood of Christ for that sin and ask your cleansing and claim it actually from you. And thank you, Father, for the blood of Christ. And now we, we um, surrender afresh our lives to you and say that we, uh, we will live for you, Lord Jesus. We will live for you. We consecrate ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in Hezekiah's life, it takes some twists and turns. And let's hear from our readers uh, one particular twist and turn. And let's try to discern in there another, another question that examines our lives. Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to King Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And so, in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the signs that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all of his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices and the precious oil, his armory, 
all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. Isaiah said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet and the son of Amoz, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did honor him at his death, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Thank you for reading that. Now, as, as, as we've skipped ahead now, there, there's too much to say in one, one Sunday morning, but um, we've gone, turn over to chapter 32. Multiple tests came to Hezekiah during his life. And it's interesting to watch how he, referred, uh, how he responded to these tests. In one test, the uh, Assyrian nation came against uh, Judah and attacked them. And he went to Isaiah. And Hezekiah and Isaiah, they stood together against this test and in this test. And they prayed together. Look at chapter 32, verse 20. It says, Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, this is the enemy king, the king of Assyria, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every, st- every side. So here they were, um, surrounded by this massive army, completely undone in terms of any chance of fighting against them. And he goes to Isaiah, Isaiah speaks to him, God speaks to him, and they stand together and they actually kneel together and they pray and God delivers them. And so he passes the test. And that was, it was exciting. He had another test um, 
Beginning in verse 24, he became very, very sick. Look at verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. The, the details about the sign are in Kings, not here. Uh, in verse 25. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. And right there, my heart stops when I get to that part in the story. I think, oh no, he's not going to do with what, uh, jo- um, was it Jotham? Who was it? No, it was Uzziah. It was the first one. He's not going to repeat what his grandfather did. Is he going to do that? But watch what happens. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So here's another test. He's greatly ill, ill to the point of death. God, uh, he implores God. God. God delivers him. But mixed in there, there's pride. And the pride brings trouble. But he's confronted about his pride. And he repents of it. So he turns, he turns back. He humbles himself. Unlike Uzziah, he humbles himself. And God keeps working in his life. And God keeps uh, blessing and leading And so, um, here we see that there was humility of heart. In the first test, we see there was a running to God for help. In the second test, we see a willingness to humble himself. And so, he kind of wobbles a bit in the second test, but he makes it. He makes it through and he does what is right. Then comes this third test, and I want you to see this. Um, Look at chapter 32, verse 27. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries of silver, for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels. And it goes on talking about the great amount of wealth that he had. And then he gets to verse 31. Look at verse 31. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. And he look at this verse, the rest of the verse. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Very interesting. He left him to himself. And you heard the story read. You heard about what happened he just took these guys from Babylon and showed them everything he had. And uh, they marked it down uh, in their iPhones. They, they marked it down and it had a little GPS and they marked that marker down and says, we're coming back. We're coming back right on this dot here. And they did. And they took everything that they had seen. They took it all and carried it off into Babylon. We heard the story. And what happened was is that after the envoy left, Isaiah gets news of this. And there's a confrontation between Isaiah and Hezekiah. And, and Hezekiah realizes that he, he made a mistake. But the thing that's interesting to me in thir- is verse 31, the end of 31 is, it says, God left him to himself in order to test him to know what all that was in his heart. What's in Hezekiah's heart? I'm going to give him another test and I'm going to see. Not that God didn't already know, but he's going to make it evident. He's going to say, what, let's see what's in Hezekiah's heart. Will he 
run to me and ask for help like he did on that first test? Will he do, will he do that? Will he humble himself like he did in the second test? Apparently, the answer to both those questions is no. Here's this envoy. He doesn't go to God for help. He doesn't humble himself. And he makes a tremendously bad decision. A major lack of wisdom on Hezekiah's part is seen in what he did. And Isaiah informed him that there's going to be great consequences for this lack of, of wisdom. And all of this now presents this, the last, this is the fifth question now. The second question for Hezekiah, but the fifth in our series. And that is, are you passing today's test? Are you passing today's test? Let's just say that you've had great successes in your past. And I think we all have. Where we've been tested in certain ways and we've come through it. And at other times we've wobbled a bit because we're all human. And we're like Hezekiah in the second one. We kind of halfway made it through and kind of were botching it. But God gave us grace and we humbled ourselves and we kept going. But today's test is the test where God's looking at you now. What if the end of verse 31 is what God's doing with you right now in your life? I'm going to leave him. Uh, to himself I'm going to leave her to herself and I'm going to test him and her just to see what's in their heart what's the test in your life right now would you think of that test through the filter verse 31 is God just leaving you to yourself for a moment to see what will you do what will you do with the test right now Will you run to God like you used to run to him and call on him and ask for his help and go to his word? In a sense, that's what, that's what Hezekiah was doing when he ran to Isaiah. Isaiah is the source of God's word, see? So he's going to God's word and he's going to prayer. And remember when you were first saved and that's what you did all the time? But now the years have gone by. Are you drifting? What are, are you... Here's the question. Are you passing today's test? Not yesterday's, today's. And then are you approaching it with humility? Whatever trial or testing you're having now. Where's the humility? God has a way of always working in our lives to bring us to the place where we humble ourselves. Amen? It's just so true. And I have a feeling that many of you have have felt those trials and you've learned those lessons. I've been humbled. And you've sensed the great joy and freedom of when you finally just humble yourself before God and say, it's all right, Lord, I'm really nothing. You're it. You're number one. I'm number nothing. Take over. Lead my life. Do your will in my life. This isn't what I wanted, but it's what you're doing, and I accept it, and you, you may work, Lord. Work. Work. And with humility comes freedom and joy. But in today's test, are you humble? Today's test, are you humbling yourself before the Lord? Are you passing today's test? Are you being wise? You see, as we run to God with, with humility, we wind up acting in wisdom. 
uh, Hezekiah didn't run to God and he, and he wasn't being humble and, and he made a foolish, foolish mistake. Don't complicate your trials by lack of wisdom. Humble yourself, run to God, and pass today's test. So you know what today's test is for yourself. I don't. You know what it is. Uh, as I've been talking, some light bulbs have already been going on in your minds. You know what the test is for you. Let Hezekiah encourage you by his example to run to God, humble yourself, act in wisdom, be patient, act in wisdom, and let God ride you through, ride you through this test. And this will be one more test that you pass, not a, pa not a test that you fail. Four, five, one. We've looked at four kings. We've gotten five questions. And the one life is your life. Has it been challenging for you? No? <laughs> it's been challenging for me. Every one of these questions I've taken personally. And I've, I've, I've wrestled myself with each one of these. And um, today's especially, we reconsecrate ourselves to the Lord. And we look at the trial we're in now, the test we're in right now, and we say, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to fail this test. I'm running to you right now. I'm humbling myself before you. I want to act in wisdom. And God will answer. He'll be pleased. He'll be pleased to do it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you and surrender our lives to you in the midst of the tests which you're allowing in our lives. And Father, we, we do run to you and ask for your help and renew even our own uh, determination to have your word open in front of our eyes so that we read it. And we think on it. Speak to us, Lord, and help us. And then, oh, Father, we humble ourselves. The test that's in our life right now, Lord, we just say right up front that we are not equal to it. We are not able to overcome. We are not smart enough. We are not strong enough. We are not wise enough. We humble ourselves before you, Father, and ask you to fill in where we fall, fall so short that you would work in us and enable us to act in wisdom. Do it, O Lord, we pray. And we thank you, for you are eager to do so. Thank you, O Father, for your word. Thank you for your presence. And we thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.